Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back, everyone, to Patriot Coalition Live. I'm Jason Morocek. Thanks for joining us today. Our goal is to create a timeless resource to teach about the U.S. Constitution and the proper role of government, the importance of America's Judeo-Christian heritage, and how to defend against threats to our republic. So before we get into today's topic, I wanted to talk to you about something that you can do today to begin rooting out one of the major sources of corruption in America. This source of corruption is what we call the three-headed beast of mainstream media, big tech, and big business. These mega corporations are actively undermining our liberties throughout through censorship, canceling, and destroying the livelihoods because, well, they just don't like dissent. And they don't like people who share truths which threaten their power. So as you know, earlier this year, Google, Apple, Amazon, uh, Amazon Web Services, they all canceled Parler or stopped giving access to Parler. Social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, they regularly suspend accounts when they don't like their posts. So why continue to send your money to Amazon when they are canceling and censoring those who stand up for liberty? When you can spend your hard-earned money with freedom-loving companies who share your values and your principles. A company like conservativeeconomy.com. Conservative Economy has tons of companies to shop from with over 3,600 categories of products with more being added every week. So chances are you're gonna find what you're looking for at conservativeeconomy.com. If you shop at a business that you love and you think that that business would be a great fit at conservativeeconomy.com, go to our contact page and let us know. Or if you own a business, go to the sell here link at conservativeeconomy.com and tell us about your business. Again, that website is conservativeeconomy.com. Please check us out today. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. It's gonna be a short one. Uh, the title of today's episode is Article 1, Section 9, The Powers Denied to Congress, Part 1. And as a, as a quick review, Article 1 of the Constitution is all about Congress. Now, Article 1, Section 9 describes the powers that are specifically denied to Congress. So last uh, several episodes, we've talked to Article 1, Section 8, which were the enumerated powers, the powers that were granted to Congress. So Section 9 talks about those that are denied to Congress. And today, specifically, we are talking about Clause 1 of Article 9, which deals with the power to limit migration and importation of people. So let's, uh, let's just read from the Constitution exactly what the clause says. And again, this is Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1. It says, quote, the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by Congress prior to the year 1808. But a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation not exceeding $10 for each person. Okay, so uh, let's break that down a little bit. So Congress, it's saying that Congress cannot prohibit the migration or importation of any people to the current states 
before 1808. That is the, the, the current 13 states that are in existence. But it does not say that it, it, it does not specifically uh, authorize a prohibi uh, prohibition after 1808 either. So it only is, is stopping Congress from prohibiting it before the year 1808. After that, it doesn't specify, it doesn't specifically authorize them to prohibit it after 1808 either, but it does allow for it. It also does not stop Congress from prohibiting the migration or importation in future states. Remember that phrase in the, in the clause itself, it says, as any of the states now existing shall think proper. Well, that means that it does not restrict Congress from prohibiting the importation or migration of people in any future states that might join the union. Okay, and then uh, of course it, it only authorizes taxing of those persons imported into in the country. So it seems like a strange phrase to use on people as imported, but that kind of gets into the, the crux of what this clause was about. So as you may have guessed, this, this clause is another compromise dealing with the issue of slavery. And it is an exception uh, to the regulation of commerce that is granted by the Constitution in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 that we talked about several weeks ago, which is the power, um, well, I'm sorry, so that, that Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 gives Congress the authority to regu regulate commerce, which remember does not mean prohibit. So that's why this is an exception to that clause. But this, uh, this clause also um, is an exception to the power to define and punish the law of nations, remember, which includes immigration. Immigration is something that nations inherently have in, in terms of the law of nations that is generally accepted. Uh, so because they're able to stop import, uh, they're, they're unable to regulate that um, immigration in, those, um, in the states before 1808, that's why this is an exception. And, and that it's an exception to the, um, the definition and punishing of the law of nations, which we find in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 10. Okay, so again, this is an exception. This is a compromise that they uh, arrived to for you know, a number of reasons. Um, so remember, at this point, South Carolina and Georgia are the, the only states that are for slavery at this point. Uh, and they, those two, the delegates from those two states said that their constituents would never accept a constitution that prohibited slavery. So that was a, a, a stake in the ground. It was a hard line that they could not put up with or tolerate in the constitution. So what were the delegates to do after they've gone to all this trouble to come together and figure something out? Um, so aside from South Carolina and Georgia, the remainder of the states, they wanted to abolish slavery. Uh, and that included, you know, some of the, you know, the Maryland, the Virginias, the North Carolinas, who, you know, today we think of as, oh, just part of the South. Well, no, at that point, Maryland and Virginia uh, had already abolished slavery. Uh, and so even though South Carolina and Georgia didn't want to abolish slavery, the other ones did, they all wanted to preserve the United States. So they had to come up with some way to compromise, to come together and figure out how this was going to work. So the delegates from North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, they, some of them articulated explicitly, others implied it, that they thought that the abolition of slavery would eventually happen in those states, just not necessarily anytime soon. 
So they recognized that this was uh, uh, what was going to happen. Uh, there were some delegates in South Carolina who said, you know, look, as long as there's any swamp land in South Carolina that needs to be cultivated, we need those slaves. I mean, that, that was basically the way that they put it back then. So, but they knew that it was eventually going to be abolished. So one other thing that it's important to note at this point, that at the same time that they're having this conversation in the, in the Constitutional Convention, eight out of the 12 states that were there, remember Rhode Island was not really participating in this. So eight out of the 12 um, were advocating for a, a two-thirds threshold in Congress in order to pass any sort of navigation acts or commerce acts, which would have hindered the northern seafaring states. So the, the, the current... Um, the current temperature, if you will, at the time was that most, the majority of those states in the, in the convention were for a two-thirds threshold that would hinder the northern seafaring states. Um, and so that was kind of, keep that in mind because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. So some of the arguments that were presented um, when they talked about the, the need for some sort of compromise and what elements it should include. Yeah, so as you know, we like to go back to the the um, records of the Federal Convention of 1787. It's a document. It's uh, referred to in our show notes, which you uh, have access to if you go to PatriotCoalitionLive.com. Uh, so one of the arguments that was brought up was from uh, Rufus King, who is from Massachusetts. Now he, he said basically, states are supposed to defend each other in. And he was referring to the general concept of this document, the Constitution, that they're drafting. He said, states are supposed to defend each other. We're coming together as a, as a union of states. But then the southern states can increase their danger by not having to give more to the general defense fund when the case is needed. He said they, they contribute to the danger. He, he means by that, that they can import slaves, which could then be a potential source of insurrection that foreign nations could use against the United States. So, you know, for example, in the um, in the War of Independence that the colonies just fought, the British were intending to give sla uh, slaves arms and weapons in order to revolt against the, the colonies. Well, Rufus King is saying, look, this is not just going to stop. These slaves that are being imported can be used as a wedge and weapon in the United States. And so he's saying we're basically allowing them to continue to import slaves, but then they're not adding any more in taxes to the general defense fund, meaning the treasury, right now. So we've got to fix that. If this is going to happen, if we're going to allow them to have slaves, then they need to pay their fair share to prevent uh, and to uh, allow the United States to defend itself if another country is trying to use those slaves against us. And then there's Luther Martin, who was from Maryland, and he proposed a prohibition on slavery or, at a minimum, a tax on, on slavery. And he kind of, he essentially reinforced Rufus King's, um, his point that we just talked about that look, they're contributing to uh, an endangerment of the United States through their, their practice of the abomination of slavery. He says, but 
you know, in addition to that, the three-fifths compromise that they came up with, that they'd already kind of come up with, he said he believed that that would encourage slavery because they wanted to uh, overcompensate for the fact that the ratio they came up with put the slaveholding states at a disadvantage. He said, quote, it was inconsistent with the principles of the revolution, meaning the War of Independence, and dishonorable to the American character to have such a feature in the Constitution, meaning that to allow slavery continue. So he was completely against it, but he understood where the Southern states were coming from in terms of, um, uh, you know, if they would just walk away from the, the agreement, the Constitution, if they were not allowed to continue with slavery. And then you have South Carolina and Georgia's argument uh, and they basically said, and this, this again, coming from the records of the federal convention. Uh, so it's basically someone's transcription of what they said. He said, the delegates from those two states, we have now liberty to import slaves. So currently we can import slaves. And much of the land that is now possessed has been purchased or otherwise acquired in contemplation of improving it by the assistance of imported slaves. What would be the consequence of hindering us from it? The slaves of Virginia would rise in value and we would be obliged to go to your markets. So there was still this, you know, Virginia was a huge slave owning state, even though they had outlawed at that point. Uh, it means they could not bring in any more slaves. So they had tons of slaves. South Carolina and Georgia, uh, they still got their slaves from uh, presumably Africa, right? So they said, if you shut off the, the ability for us to, to import slaves from Africa, then what that means is we basically have to go to Virginia. It's a captive market and the cost of that's gonna go up. Add to that the fact that a lot of people have purchased property here knowing that they would be able to use slaves in order to improve that land. He said, this is a, a, a no-win situation for us. You know, people have already made these commitments financially and, you know, moving their families, you know, whatever it happened to be. Uh, so that was the argument from South Carolina and Georgia. So you had all of these things coming together um, with those in, in opposition to slavery, those for it, those who had outlawed it, but recognized that it was going to be, uh, still have to be used in certain, uh, in certain markets, uh, just because of the commitments that have been made to it. So you had all these things gelling together to, and coming, playing a part in, in how that compromise had to be made. So it was interesting too, in this, uh, not just in this clause, but in the entire constitution, you don't find the word slave. Uh, and, and that's because the states and the majority of them were against slavery, they had no interest and we're completely against introducing the term slave or slavery into the constitution. This was repeated in the, the records of the federal convention. It's repeated in many of the letters that were sent after the fact or the testimony uh, and that some of the delegates gave in their state conventions. Um, they were absolutely opposed to, you know, it, it was an abomination and they didn't want our nation to have any part of that in the constitution. They recognize it exists currently, but they were not willing to uh, make that and institutionalize that, if you will, as part of the Constitution. So rather than using the term slavery, uh, the founder or the framers of the Constitution, they preferred to kind of open this clause to what they used, which was migration or importation of all people. That, you know, again, they didn't use the word slave. So it just says migration or importation. And they recognized that this would 
you know, it, it expanded the scope, right? No longer are you talking about just the slaves uh, that they're bringing in from Africa or other nations. Uh, the importation or the migration couldn't be influenced or couldn't be prohibited for all people before 1808. And then, of course, after that, they, it applied to all people as well. Now, in the end, you know, after all this was said and done and they would go back and forth and everyone presented their arguments, um, they came up with the clause that we read, you know, in, in order to preserve the unity of the states. Now, the southern states, they dropped, as part of this compromise, they dropped their pursuit of the two-thirds threshold that we talked about on passing a bill in Congress that was in regards to navigation and commerce acts. So they dropped that pursuit of that, which basically meant that there were, were not enough um, delegates, delegations that would be for that. So that was no longer on the table. So that was their concession. Now, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia were able to continue importing slaves, at least until 1808, but they were taxed on those slaves. But not so much, you know, there was only $10 a person, there was the maximum. They weren't taxed on them so much where it would be prohibitive for them to continue to do so. So again, there's this back and forth all throughout this compromise. The slave trade, it could be outlawed in 1808, but it was not a sure thing that was written into the constitution. It was only a possibility. So that was agreeable to both sides. And South Carolina and Georgia, they knew that the 10th Amendment, well, there was no 10th Amendment at the time, at least explicitly, but they knew that the only powers that the, the Congress had had to be explicitly given to it, right? It, they couldn't just assume those powers. And that meant that uh, because they weren't granted anything to do with slavery, they couldn't, um, they couldn't specifically outlaw that. Congress didn't have that power. It was not granted to them in the Constitution. So that's what South Carolina and Georgia assumed, uh, that they couldn't do that. Of course, they probably also didn't expect a constitutional amendment to pass. And then the United States as a whole was in no worse shape. And this is something James Madison pointed out. The United States was in no worse shape than it was prior to 1789 when the Constitution um, was drafted or ratified. You know, they still had, you know, they still had slavery. They were in no worse shape. Whereas if they had stuck with the Articles of Confederation, slavery may have lasted much longer because they would not have a provision in there that allowed Congress uh, to uh, make that determination and to pass any laws that, uh, that would prohibit it. And then the Northern and Mid-Atlantic states, they could still prohibit slavery. So, you know, all these things came out of uh, and, and were a part of that compromise that they came up with. So uh, again, it was, you know, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, there was several contentious um, arrangements and agreements and discussions, you know, having to do with representation, direct taxes, slavery, all these things caused these delegations almost to separate and say, you know what, we're going to give up, but they stuck it out. And again, through, you know, through the prayer and in large part, um, I know that Benjamin Franklin is given credit for, you know, stepping in and appealing to, to our God to um, just calm people's uh, minds and allow them to come together. So through all of that, they were able to still come together and come up with a compromise that allowed us as the United States of America to 
uh, abolish slavery and go on to continue to fight against uh, those kinds of practices all throughout the world. You know, in World War II, you know, we were fighting against tyranny, uh, you know, so we have done this type of work, you know, because the United States formed under this constitution, which wouldn't have been able to happen without these compromises, we were able to do so much more good in the world. And uh, that is not lost on me and hopefully not on you that, um, you know, God has allowed us to, to get to this point, right? Okay, so this clause, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1, it was so important uh, in, preserving, in preserving the unity and the work of the convention that it was included also in Article 5, which we'll talk about in some time, which deals with how we can uh, add amendments to the Constitution. So in that article, Article 5, it says that no amendment can be can affect Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1, the one we're talking about today, until the year 1808. So the, the, the South was wise enough to say, look, we recognize that we're going to be able to change this, this Constitution. We want to make sure that you can't change this part until we've run its course until 1808, that magical date uh, when Congress is no longer prohibited from um, uh, stopping the importation of, of slaves. And while this clause may seem moot today, in a large part it is, uh, because the timeline has long since passed and we have abolished slavery uh, since then, it still was a critical compromise to keep the United States unified in one nation. Okay, so that covers it for today. Uh, a short episode, but uh, more of a historical context, um, because especially today when all sorts of nonsense and, and the racial grievance industry is is rising up and talking about reparations this and racist that, it's important to understand the context of exactly how this constitution was put together and the things that the, the racial grievance in industry is um, pointing to to say that we are racist or that you know the constitution is a essentially a slave document uh, is not the case and when you dig into the context it makes it pretty clear that this was a uh, one step in the right direction uh, that would go towards uh, making us the country we are today as i said that has fought against tyranny at all levels across the world Okay, so hopefully you enjoyed that and it was worth uh, worth understanding. Now, if you would like to support us here at Patriot Coalition Live, please go to our website, which is patriotcoalitionlive.com slash support. And uh, your support is a, is a big help to us. And if you are not already a subscriber, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts at places like iHeartRadio and Spotify. And thanks again, everyone. We will see you here next time. Take care.